All right, good morning, everyone. We're going to continue on in our study through Haggai this morning. And we're in chapter two. Your batteries. I got batteries in it. New one? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I appreciate it. Especially since I don't drink coffee, you got to make sure I'm firing on all cylinders, so. All right, so we're going to be picking up into uh, Haggai chapter 2. We're going to do a little bit of a refresher since we were off last week due to both Pastor and myself being sick. And then just whenever I'm getting better, I'm going to be gone next week. Grace and I are going to be out of town. So we're still going to have class, though. Pastor's going to do just a standalone study. So still show up on, at 11 o'clock next week, and we'll have that. But we'll go ahead and open with an invocation and a Lord's Prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, so hopefully we don't have another bird flying in here. We only have one door open, so... Well, yeah, the 8 o'clock class, we had a bird flying around in here, so... Quite some excitement during the class, so... Yeah, <laughs> wanted to tune into the class. Uh, so a little bit of a refresher on the timeline for Haggai... We have that in our study Bible, that little timeline up top. Uh, 605 is when Nebuchadnezzar begins to besiege Jerusalem. 587 is when the temple is destroyed. And then in 538 is whenever Cyrus, when the Persian Empire comes, and decrees that the exiles may return to Judah. So remember, they can go back to Judah, they can start rebuilding the temple, and then they kind of sit on their hands for a little bit. And that's what Haggai is all about, is getting them back into business, start you know, rebuilding the temple again. And then once we get into Zechariah, he's going to be a contemporary of Haggai, so he's going to have a similar message. We'll cover that once we get to Zechariah. Any questions on any refreshers of timeline, where we're sitting or anything? If not, we'll pick up into chapter 2. Can't remember exactly where we left off into if it was at the chapter break or not, but we'll go ahead and start at verse 1. In the seventh month of the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. So we have this great timeline given all throughout Haggai and even into Zechariah as well. So very specific dating of when all these events take place and you can start to see how Quickly, the people get, get, their, get into action and start rebuilding the temple. So the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it as nothing in your eyes? So the time frame between the destruction of the original temple and now the rebuilding of the new one was at 50-something years, give or take, some time. That'd be about right. Yeah, so there still would have been some people still alive, you know, maybe from their childhood that remembered the former glory of the old temple. So that's what he is saying. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it, is it not as nothing in your eyes? So just it's not, not elaborate, you know, relative to the previous temple. There's nothing special about it at this point. So how do you see it? And then he gives words of comfort in verse 4. A threefold be strong that he gives. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. So be strong, even though, 
you know, this temple now isn't elaborate compared to what it used to be. Don't let that discourage you. Don't say, you know, eh, you know, we'll just forget about it. We'll just, you know, don't worry about building the temple anymore. We'll just go back to building up our own houses. Because that's what was the rebuke in chapter 1 is, you know, the house of the Lord is sitting in ruins while they build up their own houses. So be strong. Continue in your effort. Continue to rebuild the temple, even though it may not be quite as elaborate as it once was. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. So we have this remembrance, this calling them back to remember the covenant that the Lord has made, how he brought them out of the land of Egypt, how he has been faithful to them all along, that he has been with them throughout all of this. And so now, even though your temple isn't as great, still recall that I have been with you, My spirit still remains with you. And then we get the messianic promise of yet once more in a little while. I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea. So we see that at Christ's crucifixion, the earthquake that happens there. And we'll see this even more so in Zechariah. Some just marvelous messianic prophecies that he'll give to them. So it's not fulfilled yet, but it will be. In Christ, who remember, what does he say in John? He's showing the disciples the temple, and what does he say about himself? Destroy this temple, and then three days I'll raise it back up again. So again, he's calling all this to mind. The disciples and all of them would have known all of these prophecies. They would have been familiar with the Old Testament, much more so than we are. So they would have had all these images in their mind as he spoke to them. Now will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. So again, who is the treasured possession of the Lord? His people. So he will shake all these nations so that the treasures of all these nations will come in to the temple, namely Christ. Again, just marvelous imagery here. And I will fill this house with glory says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And how many times just in these first nine verses has he said the Lord of hosts? Again, calling to mind all these things. Remember, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the heavenly armies. He's calling to mind these images that he is the mighty one. He is doing all of these things. And so, again, calling that to mind just over and over. Remember who I am. I'm the Lord of hosts. I am saying these things. It will come to pass. Be strong. Keep working. Be faithful. And trust that I'm working all these things out. And in, and in this place, I will give peace. So you just can't help but think, of, think ahead to John 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Again, just this marvelous, all these interconnected pieces all throughout Scripture. I was listening to a podcast over this past week, and it's just speaking about Scripture and how we look at Scripture and how we've, I don't know, he didn't say it in the best way, and we may so take it with a grain of salt, but we are sometimes too serious when we read Scripture. And not that we shouldn't have a seriousness when reading the Word of God, but just sitting there and just basking in the glory that, it, that is the Word of God, and sitting there digging around in it and seeing, oh, I will give peace. Oh, okay, John 14, that reminds me of that. Or the Lord of hosts, okay, where else is he speaking of that? Or silver and gold. Okay, call to mind the small catechism. Bought us not with 
gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood. And so just having this, again, trying to phrase it the best way, but just going around in Scripture, digging around, seeing what's there, and not just reading it and then you know, checking that off the list and of your daily Scripture reading and move on to chapter 3 tomorrow. But sitting in, digging into the Scriptures, seeing all those connected pieces and just seeing the glory that is the Word of God, that it is interconnected in these pieces, that it's not just these completely segmented pieces that we aren't to see piecing together. I think we've got... Uh, and let's see, what verse is that? Verse 9, uh, the end of verse 9, it says, and in, and in this place I will give peace. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was making me think that Jerusalem, Salem is peace, is that right? Uh, Shalom, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What is Jeru? Oh, I mean, yeah. Do you know, Pastor, by chance? Where are you at? I'm sorry. Uh, just Jerusalem, the name itself. Shalom, Salem, peace, Jeru. I think that uh, Jeru is just city. So, uh, that's Jeru. Jeru. Yeah. City. I think it's just city. City, okay. That's, yeah, that would be my best guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in this place, again, the New Jerusalem. I was just going to add that uh, this is so comforting, this passage, uh, reminds me of um, Isaiah 40. You know, comfort, comfort my people. So uh, it would be nice to have a gathering of all these uh, similar type passages. Oh, yeah. Well, God is, I'm with you, uh, you know, et cetera. Et cetera. I, these are my promises collectively mm-hmm. or will be delivered. So it's good. To, we've been through some rough patches here of, you know, the law and the... Mm-hmm. the judgment of God, but here we, we see the comfort in his yeah. hand. So. Again, in just the tiny little book of Haggai, who would have thought? Just these amazing words of comfort that we don't, we likely haven't noticed before or pay too much attention to. It'll get even better in Zechariah. So not that one's better than the other, but Zechariah kind of fleshes these things out even more so we can bask in the glory all the more. So, any questions before we move on to 10 and following? Okay. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, so Darius came after Cyrus, and Cyrus was the one that decreed that they could return from exile. So it's during that reign. Again, if you want to create a whole timeline of Haggai, of the when he's speaking all these things, It's just too much for me to think about. But if you want to see how much time passes between each of these, you can pay more attention to that. In the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. And then he gives these questions to them. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or any kind of food, does it become holy? A study note makes a comment, garments were made holy by contact with holy meat, but could not communicate holiness to other items. So again, going off the whole Levitical, Levitical code there. The priests answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. So again, seems like a kind of odd insertion here, but he'll flesh it out more here in a few minutes. The gist here is, you know, the holiness doesn't transfer to these things, but the uncleanliness does transfer. So again, he's bringing this up to the priest who would have known all these Levitical codes no, in verses 14 and following, he'll keep, he'll keep going with this. Then Haggai answered and said, So is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now then consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? 
We'll actually stop there because he's getting into a new argument there. But the uncleanliness of these people has transferred so that you know, their, their whole works have become futile, futile here. You know, flesh that out more here in a second. But so the uncleanliness, the you know, waiting along, not starting to rebuild the temple, doing all these things that are displeasing to the Lord, then carries over into their acts that they would think would be pleasing to the Lord, if that makes sense. So again, holiness doesn't transfer to unholy, but unholy transfers to holy, making it then unholy. Let's see. Uh, second half of verse 15. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? Obviously not great. When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. So this severe lacking. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. So again, he's calling to mind all these things of, hey, remember you draw all this wine out. How, how much did you get whenever you thought you were going to be drawing this much? Oh yeah, not that much. Hmm. Maybe start rebuilding the temple. Maybe do these things. Be faithful people and see how, then, how you fare then. Verse 18, consider... This was the language he's used throughout the book. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. So he studied note, makes a note of, Despite all their hard efforts, the people had not enjoyed good harvests. But now, because of their determination to rebuild the temple, they can look forward with hope. The Lord will mark this day as the beginning of showers of blessings on them. So now that they have started to rebuild the temple, the Lord will bless his people once more. Verse 20 The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, so the same day. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. So again, you may be asking what specifically, or what time period is he specifically talking about? I mean, all throughout history, all the kingdoms that he's speaking of at this point, are they still around at this point today? No. So it's not like one specific date of, on this day I will overthrow everything, but is true that all those nations, all those kingdoms have been overthrown, destroyed, along with their chariots and their riders. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So here we get this great promise to Zerubbabel, who is now faithful to the Lord, who heeded the words of Haggai and began to rebuild the temple. And then he's making him as a signet ring, and he has chosen him. And so if you want to fast forward all the way to Matthew chapter 1 with the genealogy, and you want to do some diving in there, you'll see Zerubbabel mentioned in that timeline or in that genealogy. So he's made him as a signet ring. So through him then comes the Messiah. So through that line. So he has blessed him in that way. And he has chosen him. All right, rather sudden ending ending to Haggai. Any questions on? Yeah. 
kind of get part two of this in Zechariah. So. Oh, yeah, I had a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I just wanted to look at that question he, where he asks in 19, is, is the seed yet in the barn? Mm-hmm. Um, is that a way of comparing, like, you haven't yet rebuilt the temple? Mm. What, what, I, so that's the first yeah. part of the question. And then the second one was, what's, what day it is, um, is there a day on the Hebrew calendar like a special feast day or something that is the 24th day of the ninth month? I'd have to do some searching on that. I wouldn't. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. Okay. may do some searching. So then verse 19. Yeah, then the seed is yet in the barn. So again, your study note, Basically, is getting to the point of you know, your seed's kind of in the barn, or is it? It's not yet fully in the barn. You're not returning a great harvest for what you've sown and everything. Yeah, that it's a little bit tricky. I know I'm not answering it great here. Is that implying that the seed hasn't been sown? That it should be sown. <laughs> Let me see. Let's see. Is he doing the barn? Indeed, the fig. Find the fig tree. Yeah, I think it may be taken of the standpoint of, because then later on in that verse, he's talking about, you know, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, all these things. You know, though though you have planted seed, have yielded nothing. So maybe there is still seed left in the barn, as in, you know, you haven't planted everything or everything hasn't been, you know, there's just this something is lacking here in your efforts. Yeah. Uh, I find it fascinating to see the interconnection between different books in the Bible, you know, Mm -hmm. and here we're talking about Darius now following Cyrus, Mm -hmm. uh, who's, I guess, are both Persians taking over Babylonia uh, or Babylon. And Mm -hmm. uh, then I thought of where in the Bible was that mentioned? And I remembered it was in Daniel chapter five, where there was this mysterious handwriting on the wall. And chapter 5 ends with, and Darius, the Mede, takes over and Mm. defeated. So the interconnection and the timeline, it's all there. If we, I tend to look at these Bible books as standalone, but there there is this fascinating Mm -hmm. interconnection. I just wanted to share that. Yeah. And just great arguments, too, against the people that say, oh, you know, the Bible is just these made-up books, you know, written by some people under a trying to pull the wool over someone's eyes. I mean, how can you make this stuff up? Just all this interconnectedness, all these, you can go back to history, find the rule of Darius at this time, see what's going on. I mean, talk about trying to make this up. How, how could you do that? Just impossible. And they're the ones that are going to be looking over the minor prophets and skipping them and not, not digging into them and say, oh, you know, Man, they're pretty specific in this timeline, huh? Who was ruling during that time? Oh, it was, in fact, Darius, huh? Maybe he was right after all. Any other questions? So we'll get more of this, more of the similar stuff, not quite the same. Zechariah has his own flavor to things. And we'll get a bunch of visions that we're going to be diving into today. We'll look on page 1523, if you have your study Bible, Again, same timeline, essentially up at the top. Same year is when Zechariah begins to prophesy and receiving this word from God. I'll read a little bit of what Luther has to say. If you want to read more of it, you're welcome to later on. First paragraph, this prophet lived after the Babylonian captivity. With his colleague Haggai, he helped to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple and to bring the scattered people together again, so that government and order might might be set up in the land again. 
He is truly one of the most comforting of the prophets. He presents many lovely and reassuring visions and gives many sweet and kindly words in order to encourage and strengthen the troubled and scattered people to proceed with the building and the government despite the great and varied resistance which they had till then encountered. He does this down to the fifth chapter. So since I'm sure we won't be getting to chapter 5 today, we'll just end off there. But he's going to be giving us, we're going to be seeing a bunch of visions that he's going to be given, eight in all, in these first few chapters that we'll have to kind of wrestle with, dive into, and again, if we can't answer all the questions, that's pretty, that's okay. Just again, basking in the glory that is these visions the meaning is quite simple, even if we don't get all the details on it. So start in verse 1 of chapter 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, so again Darius here, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, now Berechiah, and then son of Edo, your study note makes more talk of this, and you can look elsewhere it's, he's quoted in scripture or referenced as being either the son of Berechiah or son of Edo. So it seems, and other commentators seem to agree on this, that he is the son of Berechiah and then the son of Edo is likely his grandfather. And so they're thinking that maybe Berechiah died at a younger age and then Edo came and helped raise him from there. Again, whether or not that's the case. Either way, nothing too crazy there. So it gives us the framework of his timeline. The name Zechariah, your study note says, Yahweh has remembered. So again, it's just going to be great words of comfort during this time where the people are wondering, you know, should we rebuild the temple? How is this going to go? His very name is, the Lord has remembered. So what is that word of the Lord that came to him? Verse 2. The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Again, calling them to return to him, to turn back, to be faithful once more, to come back and start rebuilding the temple. We've seen this all throughout the minor prophets of this the Lord calling back his people. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. So he's calling to mind again all these former prophets that have come before him. So the same message to return, return from your evil ways. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers... Where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? Obviously, both are long gone at this point. But my words and my statutes, which I commanded, my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So did not the Babylonians come and overtake your fathers and lead you into captivity? So they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts proposed purpose to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. So the people have repented of this. Repented of their evil ways and turning back to the Lord. And then we're going to get into eight of the visions here. Are there any questions just on the introductory material? Kind of similar message of all the minor prophets that we've seen of just this call to return to the Lord. Now we get into the first vision, and that is the vision of a horseman. So on the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius. And then this is going to get pretty confusing and a bunch of characters all thrown in all back to back here, so we'll read through it and then kind of back up and see who's who at this point. 
the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. So again, kind of close your eyes, imagine this picture that he is painting here. So you have a man, he's riding on a red horse, and he was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen. So you got all these myrtle trees, kind of these evergreens, all in this area. And standing is just kind of sitting still on his horse. You know, you have the signs that say no standing or loitering. Same type of thing. He's just standing there on his horse. And behind him were red sorrel, or like kind of a chestnut color, and white horses. So you have the man on the red horse. You have all these other horses around him. Then I said, that is Zechariah, what are these, my Lord? So he is speaking to someone, not yet clearly identified, but who are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, so the one who he, whom he just addressed as my Lord is now identified as the angel who talked with me. Your study note's going to your study note argues that these are all different people, and that is definitely a fine interpretation, but the interconnectedness, it seems to be speaking of the same person here. So Zechariah says, Who are the, What are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said, or the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who is standing among the myrtle trees... Again, the man who is on the horse, standing amongst the myrtle trees, answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered, they being the ones who are on the other horses. Well, you have one man on the red horse. You have all these other men on the other horses. They are the ones that are answering and said, And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees. So now the man on the red horse is now clearly identified as the angel of the Lord. And who is the angel of the Lord? Do we know from the Old Testament? Exactly. So here we have the angel of the Lord standing amongst these myrtle trees. And I would argue the one who is on this red horse standing there. And he is speaking with them who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, so the, the ones speaking right now are the ones on the horses around the angel of the Lord. We have patrolled the earth and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, oh, now this is, this is a fun part right here. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, so the angel of the Lord is saying, O Lord of hosts. Hmm. What does that remind us of? What do we see all throughout the Psalms? You know, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. How is that? Jesus even asks. How can he say that? So the angel of the Lord says, O Lord of hosts. So the angel of the Lord who is on this red horse is now mediating and speaking to the Lord, i.e. first person of the Holy Trinity, the Father. So he is mediating on behalf of the people. O Lord of hosts. So again, just marvelous imagery. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. We have these heavenly armies here on all their horses by the myrtle trees. He's speaking to the Lord of hosts, the commander. O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, against which you have been angry these 70 years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So we have the angel of the Lord mediating to the Lord on behalf of Jerusalem and their suffering, and the Lord heard the prayer of the angel of the Lord and answered in gracious and comforting words to the angel of the Lord. 
So we already ha- I go. I know it's confusing. I saw your face. We have all these all these different pictures, all these different characters here. But as the angel of the Lord, i.e., Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, mediating on behalf of his people, Jerusalem. So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts. Actually, I'm going to pause there before we go into the next part. Are there any questions? That, are the characters making sense of who we're speaking of and everything? Picture fairly clear? So they would understand this at that time that this is God in pre-incarnate, you know, interceding <clears throat> for this, the Father and the Son. They understood that. that I would, yeah. We have that in Genesis 18. Remember with Abraham, you have the three men coming. Yes. He recognized exactly who they were. Yes. He's bowing down. Yeah, and he's worshiping like, and giving 10%. Yes. And he's saying, hey, Hey, Sarah, go, go make some food real quick. You know, bring it over here. And then, I mean, all throughout the Old Testament, you have them recognizing the angel of the Lord for who he is. Though he still appears kind of in a human form here. One sitting or standing on a horse. Sitting on a horse. All right, so we have this mediation that has taken place. So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. So these nations that he's speaking of are these pagan nations that have come and plundered the people, done all kinds of things to them, and now they're those pagan nations are at ease. They're kind of able to rest because they've conquered everything. Everyone is subdued to them. So now they can sit back all fat and happy. And Lord here is saying, for while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. So while these nations were God's instrument to bring punishment on the people, those nations took it a lot further. They enjoyed that inflicting of the punishment. And they took it, took it very far in that, in that way. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be, shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. We'll talk more about the measuring line here in a minute, because there's going to be a whole other vision dedicated to the measuring line. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts, my cities shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. So we'll have more of this language all throughout the all throughout the visions of this prosperity coming back to his people for that. All right, any questions on the first vision? I was just um, wanted to go back for a moment to mm-hmm. the Haggai um, mm-hmm. the, on the verse 19. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they're at the same time, these two, right? Zechariah and Haggai? Yeah. Okay, so um, is the seed yet in the barn? Maybe Did you already say this, but is that Christ? Mm. Here's why I think it could be, mm-hmm. because it says, indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. So he, later, Jesus says, I am the true vine. So mm. he's like updating the vine that hasn't yielded anything. And then, of course, he talks about the fig tree not yielding anything. Yeah. And then this is a bit of a stretch, maybe, but pom- the pomegranate is related to, a, well, that's Greek mythology, but like Persephone and the regeneration and mm-hmm. resurrection. And then the olive tree... Um, is the anointing of Christ. Mm. But then he says, from this day on, I will bless you. And then he says, the 24th day, I'm thinking, Christmas Eve. Am I just like really stepping out of line here? But it really seems like the seed yet in the barn might be Christ. I don't know. Hmm. Haven't thought about that. Uh, It's fun to think about. I'd have to think more. No, no, it's still... 
again, you just have these marvelous images that pop into head, uh, pop into your head. I'd have to do more searching. I don't know. I want to see what people say about verse 19 about that seed. But then you have the seed of the woman and everything. But, yeah, not sure on that one. Any other questions, comments? All right, so then back into verse 18, moving on to the second vision, vision of horns and craftsmen. And I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. So these are the powers of the world. We see that in apocalyptic literature. The four horns, and I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? And he said to me, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, What are these coming to do? He said, These are the horns that scattered Judah, so that no one raised his head. And these, that is the craftsmen, have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations, who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. So it may be that the craftsmen in this vision are the ones that are rebuilding this temple, and so they're coming to scatter the nations. Again, kind of a little bit of a puzzling vision. The meaning is still straightforward, even though we don't know all the details of it necessarily, that there have been these great powers that have come, afflicted the people. The Lord is coming, using his instruments to drive out these powers, that there may be prosperity in his land once more. Pretty short, short vision here. I think those are horns like trumpets. You have to look how they're used um, in like Revelation and stuff. Four horns. As far as the specific imagery, if it's just kind of, if it is meant as kind of a trumpet horn, but either way, it's still kind of those, the might of nations, their military might, their power. Right, anything else? Moving at a pretty good clip, mainly because I really want to get to the vision of Judah the high priest in chapter 3. Because it's just a marvelous, marvelous vision, and I don't want to have to wait two weeks to get to it. But if we have to, we have to, and that's fine. But I'm just excited to get to it. So, But we'll take it as slow as we need to. Are there any questions on the horns and craftsmen? Okay, chapter 2, 1. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, Run, say to that young man, so say to the man who's taken out the measuring line to go measure Jerusalem, say to him, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. So we have this man with a measuring line going off to measure Jerusalem that way they can rebuild it, rebuild the walls, do all that. And the angel, or the Lord, is saying to him, that's not going to be needed. You won't need that measuring line. Because we're not going to be building up these physical walls. They're not going to be dwelling in a land with these physical walls. Instead, I will be the wall, a wall of fire to them. So we have this picture of this broadening of God's people, God's nation, beyond just the confining four walls of a city to then being this great expanse of his nation. 
and the Lord being himself that wall, the wall as a, as a fire. Your study note says, for 2.5, God's personal presence will afford much better protection than any city wall or humanly contrived security system. So we've seen that all throughout the, the minor prophets of, hey, you had your great chariots, your great walls, your military might. Hmm, how's that going to work out for you? Do you think you can take on me, the Lord, with those little chariots of yours? So again, he's saying, you won't need any of those physical walls, those physical walls that aren't going to be able to protect you. I will be there. I will be your wall to protect you. That no one may come in and pillage you to drive you out from that land. Now will be the glory in her midst. So this picture of the new Jerusalem. Picture of the church here. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. So again, they're within this captivity. So get up, get going, get, come down from the north. For I have spread you abroad. I've driven you out into, into captivity. Up, escape to, to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. So come back to Zion. Come back to my nation here. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Again, great word, words of comfort to God's people that whoever touches you has touched my chosen people, the apple of my eye, my beloved, those whom I love. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, over them being Babylon, these nations, these four horns, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. So the ones who came and plundered my people are now going to be plundered. They will be overtaken. They will be, all their wealth will be taken from them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day. And shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. So, at what point in history has the Lord dwelt in the midst of his people? In our minds. Yeah, sorry. Kind of a misleading question because you can say always. I was getting getting at Christ dwelling in the midst of his people. Yeah. But yes, you are correct. That was a bad bad question from me. But at that time, they shall, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in their midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. So, the Lord dwelling in their midst. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. So again, that call to be silent. You are silent before the Lord. You cannot speak. You're just dumbfounded, awestruck when you are before the Lord in in his presence. All right, any questions on that? This is, it reminds me of this going back to Genesis with uh, Abraham when he's, when he's blessing the children before he dies because God said, I will make you a great nation. And then he's, while he's blessing his son, he says, Nations, S, mm-hmm. when he's talking to Ephraim. And this is again saying the same thing. Yeah. We've seen that all throughout the Minor Prophets of this 
gathering together of the many nations back to this new Jerusalem. Yeah, so because that's was that was proclaimed when Jesus came. That's why he went to mm-hmm. Galilee because that's mostly the Jews are there, but also the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. So it's sad that they can't read their own book. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Anything else? It looks like we will get to chapter three. Again, just this is just marvelous imagery. This is probably my one of my favorite chapters that we that we're going to be doing here in the Minor Prophets. So his next vision is a vision of Joshua the high priest. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. All right. Joshua, what is Jesus? What is that name in the Hebrew? Yeshua. Joshua. So we have Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, Jesus, the true and great high priest, and you have Satan standing there, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So you have Joshua, the high priest, standing before the great high priest, and Satan is standing next to him, ready to accuse Joshua, the high priest. So again, courtroom imagery in your mind, and we'll see how this plays out. So when the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. All right, again, we have a twofold Lord. It'd be like, or he's saying, and the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Is he speaking in the third per, or the kind of a third person? No, Ryan said, hey, Ryan rebuke you. No, he's, it's a Lord, Christ, saying to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? So is this, namely Joshua the high priest, not a brand plucked from the fire. Now, the word for plucked is Natsal, which is Exodus language, salvific language of the Lord delivered his people. The Lord plucked them out from Egypt. He delivered them. He saved them from the hand of slavery here. So is this man that you are standing ready to accuse, is he not already plucked from that fire? delivered from that fire, delivered from that suffering and that eternal damnation. It's not this a brand plucked from the fire. Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. It's just going to be great baptismal language here. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, So the angel of the Lord speaking now to Joshua, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. So he has stripped Joshua of his filthy garments. He is standing naked before the Lord, using the language there. So he's removed these filthy garments. He's standing there. And the Lord is saying, I have taken your iniquity away from you. I have taken those filthy garments from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. What sacrament are we thinking of here? Creation. You're going back. Baptism. Baptism and create. I, yeah. I get where you're going with that, with the removing the filthy garments, standing naked, yeah, and not being ashamed. Because he has taken that iniquity away from him. Which we also had the old practice in the church, over in the early church, of as Christians would be baptized, they would go into the baptistry, be stripped naked, go down, be baptized, come out, be clothed with a white garment. And so today we still have the practice of baby comes in the white garment already, but we don't have... Naked baptisms anymore, so it's probably for the probably for the better, but yeah. 
And so he's saying, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. So the Lord himself is saying, I have taken your iniquity away from you. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This isn't just a New Testament teaching here. All the way back in Zechariah here, the angel of the Lord speaking to his people. And I will clothe you with pure vestments. Mm -hmm. So we have this high priest, and so he's, Satan is standing there ready to accuse him. Because Satan doesn't want the whole high priestly system and the temple system to be reinstituted, does he? So he's wanting to stand there, accuse Joshua, and say, look at his filthy garments. He's not fit to be high priest. How, how do you think he's going to be able to be a high priest? And the Lord has saying, hmm, first off, the Lord rebuke you. Lord rebuke you, Satan. Next off, I've taken those filthy garments away from him, right in front of your eyes. Remove them, clothe them with pure priestly vestments. So now he is fit for service. And then Zechariah chimes in, and I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So he's seeing this all take place, and your study note says that it's a bold intervention by the prophet who begged that the high priest be completely equipped for effective ministry. So he's seeing all this taking place, and he just can't contain the excitement of, you know, oh yeah, now, now put the clean turban on his head. You know, you already got the pure vestments, why not top it all off with the the white turban, the clean turban put on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant, the branch. Hmm. Who's he speaking of there? Yeah, quite some Old Testament language, especially Isaiah here. Just all of our alarms are going off. My servant, the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, all right, what do we see in Revelation? Seven spirits, a lamb, also with the seven eyes, the seven horns. So the stone, cornerstone in your mind, put him before him with seven eyes. I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a few days, in a couple weeks. What does it say? In a single day. I will remove the iniquity of this land. Not even just the iniquity of Joshua the high priest. The iniquity of this land in a single day. And that day declares the Lord of hosts, Every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. The peace has been restored. You're bringing all your neighbors back in. Just look at what has taken place. Come under this vine, under this fig tree, which is just all throughout the New Testament, Christ speaking in this way of, as we talked about earlier, the vine we have the true branches under the fig tree. In John, we see that all throughout. All this removal of iniquity taking place on a single day. Any questions, comments? The clean turban reminds me of that passage in the scripture of uh, renew my mind. And it's almost mm -hmm. like he's saying, hey, I'm going to give them a new mind, you know. Mm -hmm. In the, that's in the New Testament, you know, renew your mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, just what great words of comfort here, even in just the book of Zechariah, all this messianic prophecy that in a single day all this will take place. 
And we see that fulfilled in Christ himself on that single day, taking not the, only the iniquity of Joshua, the high priest, not only your iniquity or my iniquity, but the iniquity of the land, removing it in that single day for us. And then we go out in great joy and invite our neighbors to come and enjoy that same joy that we have. This is the chief cornerstone. Mm-hmm. You know, their comments, reflections, we're about out of time, but had to rush a little bit, but I just couldn't, I couldn't not get to it today. We just had to, had to get to the vision of Joshua, the high priest, before, before we had to go. So, nothing else? All right, the Lord be with you.